Welcome to the Oakcrest podcast channel. Oakcrest School in Vienna, Virginia challenges girls in grades 6 to 12 to develop their intellect, character, faith, and leadership potential to thrive in college and throughout their lives. On today's podcast, Dr. Mary T. Ortiz offers some thoughts on raising heirloom flowers and the Oakcrest mission, as well as positive COVID lessons she has learned that can help in the education of young women. The confidence that I have is that things will go well in one way or another is obviously it's based on prayer. And this month at Oakcrest, we're really focused on uh, praying for the holy souls in purgatory. So like we're you know part of the Catholic church here, a little part of the church, we, are, um, we dedicate this month to praying for the souls in purgatory. Um, our beloved departed, and that's family members, friends, neighbors, uh, all of the people we know who are um, no longer with us. So from the first day of November to the end, uh, the girls are encouraged to put uh, right names of the people they love who have passed away, put them in a little basket, and that's brought in um, to mass every day. And the priest, Father Marty, is offering the mass for, for all of those people and for all of the faithful departed. I know that focus, that like grounding in prayer is so much, so important for all of us to maintain, uh, I love to say serenity, peace, and the long view. And when we pray for the people who are departed, we truly have the long view, which is eternity. Um, that's our goal. Heaven is our goal. And that's what we're working on, you know, every day. So I, I kind of put the prayer for the country in that context of uh, the, the long view. And then again, the confidence in prayer, which is so important. So I today I've gathered these reflections uh, sort of under the title of uh, helpful tips for raising heirloom flowers. Um, and I kind of laugh at this in the sense that I wrote many, many papers as an English major and always hated coming up with a title. And now I'm really in love with titles. So today's, the title is again, Helpful Tips for Raising Heirloom Flowers. And um, I'm gonna jump into that. Um, my introduction to heirloom flowers, it came from a visit that I made to Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home some years ago. It was an absolutely beautiful, warm June day, and we had toured the house, and then we found ourselves in the garden and took the garden tour. And it was absolutely amazing to be surrounded by, um, you know, vibrant colors, beautiful, unusual, in some sense, unusual flowers, just kind of unique, um, great scent, everything. It was really overwhelmingly beautiful. And the gardener, the master gardener who was giving the tour said, I'm sure, you know, you're struck by the beauty of this garden and it is because these are all heirloom flowers. Um, and he proceeded to give a quick definition of heirloom flowers. They're um, taken from seeds that are old. I think he said at least 50 years old. And their qualities are, uh, they're, they're vibrant colors, uh, really strong scents, and they're very hardy. I mean, they're, they're old, they're an old stock. Um, so they're very hardy, very strong. But he also said um, something that struck me. He said, there's a notable lack of uniformity. So heirlooms are um, sort of their own, this I'm carrying off your little, um, they're very beautiful. They're very, they're unique. They're not uniform in pattern or necessarily color. 
they don't conform to a mold. So they're a little quirky. So if you want flowers that are uniform, uh, all the same, you know, don't go for heirlooms uh, because that's not really um, what they are. And I was listening to those uh, that description and really struck by the this beauty. And I, I just kept thinking uh, these adjectives are really describing uh, some of the people I admire most in my life, you know, heirloom people. And I thought, um, you know, again, thinking, thinking hardy, really, really strong people, think about people, uh, reliable, really strongly sculpted individuals, I would say, uh, people who follow, uh, and I actually was going off, as you can see, uh, people who follow their path with tenacity, um, and that individuality, if you will, not as much individuality, but um, being happy with their own uniqueness, that also doesn't quite catch it, but, um, and, and even a certain good rebellion, if you will, you know, I'm, I'm not conforming to a mold. And I really, I really like that. And I thought, gosh, I, this, again, this kind of describes, uh, you could say the character of, of a number of people I know, the people I, I admire, in fact, the most. And then I was thinking about it in terms of um, my professional work, which is education and education of young women. And I thought these characteristics are really what I would hope to find in a truly educated young woman. So at Oakcrest, um, we're educating girls, as you know, to be trustees of humanity. That rich and important uh, phrase um, from John Paul II. And it helps us to always kind of go back to that. Um, in a nutshell, we are educating the girls to be strong, confident, well-prepared, virtuous women who are person-centered. And person-centered, uh, another way of saying that is a person who is person-centered knows that the human person is sacred at every moment in life, from conception to natural death, no matter what happens to them, just their, their humanity uh, automatically makes them sacred. And problems in life and all of the, everything is, we start from that point of view. What is the truth of the human person and how do we address that in any situation? So that's what it means to be a trustee of humanity. That's how we're educating the girls. And it is a bit abstract. Um, I can't, when I think, I, I can't conjure up an image of a trustee of humanity. I can think of individual women. I can think of individual deeds, of course, uh, that those women have done. But still, it is a little bit abstract. So this is where the heirloom flower was helpful. It is helpful to me um, because it, it's an image. Um, and it also allows um, me to, to go back to that well-known metaphor for education and that metaphor is gardening. Um, and to, in a way to talk uh, about, use that lovely metaphor to talk about uh, what gardening and, and education have in common um, is great effort, uh, great sacrifice. So many virtues are required for both. Uh, of course, you could just, we could list them. I mean, tenacity, hope, um, and, and many things. and. So when I think about education and I think about, um, I also think about the work of parenting and, and the work of the school, uh, exactly all of that. So that's where I was, uh, I was excited in a way about the heirloom flower image. So a very important point I think uh, I wanna bring out 
um, behind the success that we have at Oakcrest in working with the girls is our, our priorities as a school. Um, and our priorities are given to us by our mission. So any, any school that is inspired by the spirit of Opus Dei follows uh, you know, these priorities and they follow this order. So first parents, then teachers, then students. And another way of saying it really is uh, our desire and, and our, our goal here is to offer the best education we can to our students. And, and therefore the best way to do that is to give importance, give great importance, you could say first to our parents, then to our faculty. And in that way, we'll be able to serve our students supremely well. So with the parent piece, it really starts in the admissions process um, that we, and I, and I know our parents uh, have experienced, I mean, our current parents, of course, have experienced this, that we give a lot of importance to the conversation, you can say the parent interview, but really it's a, it's a prolonged conversation with prospective parents. And the idea there is to really assess, um, do you want this mission for your daughter? Um, are, you, are you excited about this? Are you willing to commit to this? Because it is a very serious mission. It's very deep and very high, I like to say. Um, do you also, part of this is, do you embrace um, your primary responsibility to educate your daughter through your family life? And, and really embrace that idea, that beautiful idea that the family is the most important school. Ascent, and the, the school contributes, but family is the most, family life is the most important school. And do you appreciate the fact that you should never relinquish that irreplaceable responsibility in the favor of any, in, in favor of anyone, um, and definitely not the school, no matter how wonderful the school is. So when we establish that, that in, it's, it's an initial conversation, um, when that's established, of course, in the family, if you've joined the school, um, we put a lot of effort and thought into our communication with you, happily and appropriately. We love that. We really want to make sure that you understand the decisions that we make here, the, why, the reason for them, because we, again, we see every decision, even ones that seem small, um, as, as part of forming your daughter, part of creating a, an excellent culture uh, and a culture and a daily life is ultimately what forms. Um, so that's really important to us that you understand the why of what were our decisions. And also um, that in, over, the, over time and through our relationship, you see that it's so important to us that we live up to the trust that you put in us. We take that very seriously, that you put so much trust in obviously the school leadership, but all of the teachers, the mentors, the coaches. Um, we are here to form your daughters, to know what is true, and to grow in the strength of will to choose that. Uh, that's really, really key. So all of that is how we, and, and again, in a nutshell, how we see our parents are primary. Of, of top, of great importance to us, top priority. The faculty, of course, uh, in this, I should say, of course, but in this order, the faculty come, come next. And that, as you, I mean, you probably imagine, but hiring is so important to us. Um, and 
all every every interaction you could say we have with our teachers uh, is important to us, the school leadership. Um, we are doing all we can. Um, again, happily, joyfully, this is our work, helping our teachers embrace the mission, understand the mission, live it out. That's so important. Um, their primary way of living it out, of course, is their dedication to offering excellent instruction, an excellent instruction that is person-centered. Um, and in that sense, we see the teachers really, and all of us here, all of the women here, we are striving to be trustees of humanity uh, ourselves. Um, we know that example is the greatest teacher, um, for sure. So this year in particular with our faculty, um, a number of our decisions, probably relatively small ones, but are really centered on helping our faculty deliver uh, the instruction supremely well in what are challenging circumstances. And the challenge I think simply is um, teaching some students who are at a distance and uh, even though it's a small number, really um, teaching them well, doing the best they can, as well as everything that goes along with really excellent in-person instruction. So that's important. So all of that, that order of priority, uh, which is such a gift uh, and it's not to be taken for, I do not take that for granted. I think it is one of the main secrets behind the success of our work. We see again with that parent partnership, uh, with trust and communication that really, that, that are you know the, the bread and butter of that, if you will, a faculty committed to the mission and constantly learning what that is. So they live it out in, in, in thousand small details. The students are in the optimal position to absorb a, a, this education, a holistic education. So that's really important. So picking up on our image and metaphor, um, heirloom flowers don't just appear, right? Uh, they're cultivated through serious work. And I, I like to think of us, I think to think of the parents and the, the teachers here, the faculty as, you know, we're, we're heirloom gardeners. We are not just um, cultivating, I was thinking cultivating a few tomato plants on the fire escape which is not bad and it actually can be kind of fun, but we're doing something you know, much bigger, much more important. And a central point, and this is one of my main points this morning, is that we, you could say we gardeners, we heirloom gardeners need um, help. We need, and I would, I've got it down to three things. We need ongoing training. We need coaching and encouragement from, you could say, experts, but also from, from peers, from seasoned, you could say seasoned professionals. I would say more experienced peers. So we need ongoing training. We need coaching and encouragement from seasoned professionals. Uh, and we need hope. So looking at that um, very practically, and again, I'm speaking um, to our two parents, training, um, what kind of training do, you, do we have? I mean, the coffees are, are really, that's one of my great hopes is that we provide some kind of, of, of training. But with that, I always think of uh, the importance of having a good book about education. And it can be education in a very broad sense. Always have a book on hand. You might, could be a podcast as well. I understand our, I love books, as you know. So um, 
and I, I that's essential. It's essential for my, for me, uh, for all the people here, anyone working in education. Um, I have looked over recently, and I'm going to looked over some notes that I took uh, when I read the book, The Teenage Brain. I don't have the book. I, I lent it to someone, but it's called The Teenage Brain. And um, I looked over my notes on that, from that recently. It's a very good read. Um, and I also look over a, a book that I like. And again, I don't, I don't have it. I don't uh, know where it is at the moment because I lend books. It's a, it's a really neat book. It's called uh, Child, The Childhood Roots of Adult Happiness. It was recommended to me um, by a beloved child psychiatrist that I know who's uh, long retired at this point. But I asked her at some point, can you recommend a book? And she said, The Childhood Roots of Adult Happiness. And it's a really, it's a neat book. Um, so with that, I would say um, you don't need to read the entire book of any of these things. I, I like to be, uh, give myself a break, uh, take notes, uh, read as much as helps you. Um, I have a file called Notes on Reading and I've liter I literally take, it's just quirky. Um, I take notes on sometimes scraps of or small pieces of paper that I keep in the book. And then I just file them in, in a file, but there are all kinds of ways you can have a little notebook, take down what's speaking to you and um, you know, it's really, really helpful. And you can go back, you can think, you can reflect, you can use those notes um, even for prayer. So I think that's, that's really helpful. I would also say take advantage of what Ocrest offers um, in terms of that training. So uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs is going to be here on Friday, November 20th. And I know all of it, it's limited uh, in-person opportunity, but all of it, I think it's going to all going to be live streamed most likely recorded. So I, again, I couldn't recommend him more. That can count as your professional development training for the month or the semester. Uh, it's really going to be great. And then family enrichment is something that we love. We've been offering for years now. It's one of the best investments you can make. I was going to say money back guaranteed, but I better check on that, but I wouldn't be surprised fantastic uh, coaching, training. So the, in these ways, you're getting fresh input um, from an expert like Dr. Sachs, from peers uh, who maybe just have traveled the road before you or are traveling the road um, with you, that's through family enrichment. So these are really great sources that are um, necessary for our work. And the third point I said is hope, really important. Um, and I have a great uh, thing to share with you. It says, um, just said that um, in Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologiae says that prayer is the interpretation of hope. Prayer is the language of hope. Uh, this is a gloss, it's not exact right from him directly, but um, he said he's talking about the Lord's prayer the Our Father. And he said, the Lord teaches us hope by teaching us his prayer, says Thomas. The Our Father is the school of hope. It's actual practice. And then this writer goes on to say, it's very beautiful. It says, the Lord's prayer functions as an exposition of hope. He said, those who despair, who have given up, do not pray anymore because they no longer hope. 
those who are sure of themselves and their own power, that's presumption, do not pray because they rely only on themselves. Those who pray hope in a goodness and in a power that transcend their own capabilities. Prayer is hope in execution. So I think that's great. Uh, parents, educators, uh, we need hope. We need our hope renewed very often and we need it renewed at a very deep level because what we're doing is very deep. We need it renewed again and again. And just so you know, one of my most important jobs is praying for, uh, and in order of priority, praying for our parents, our faculty, and our students. And my prayer for parents uh, is the same, actually, as really is that my prayer for myself, if you will. And that's for faith, hope, and love, and for all the virtues, especially the cardinal virtues. The cardinal virtues of pr their prudence, uh, temperance, fortitude, and justice. And we have to work at them, but we can also ask for them. And we need to be really beggars because we need, our, our daily work requires this, the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues in a very real way. So now I'm gonna turn, um, as I want, start to wind here, wind this down to a couple of lessons that I thought would be helpful, um, directly important for the girls. I'm calling them um, simple COVID lessons um, that I hope can be helpful. So as we all know, we, we've lived a unique time um, in our country's history and our personal lives has absolutely been unique, singular. So uh, and we all have drawn all kinds of lessons. So I have these, I call them positive COVID lessons that I think were learned, I think particularly from, from quarantine that really I think are very helpful in our educational work with girls and really again, cultivating these beautiful heirloom flowers. I think they could be summed up in a quote um, from the German poet Goethe who said, things that matter the most must never be at the mercy of things that matter least. I think it's a fantastic quote. Things that matter the most must never be at the mercy of things that matter least. So there are three lessons, um, if you will, that I've, I've been thinking about and sort of I think are useful. The first one is, uh, could be said this way, slow down and make time to do what is important. And the way I'm drawing that out, there are lots of different ways you could, is really develop a family culture which prizes order and moderation. Um, and I think we could say um, it's so important to have barriers that are intentionally created, if you, you know, barriers that protect us from the unhealthy tendency in our culture to activism. And activism can be defined as activity for its own sake. It's really, I would, um, and a harsh way to say it is kind of fool's work. Uh, it's activity without a soul, without a purpose, uh, just to get things done. And it often has kind of a frenzied nature. We've all lived, we've, I mean, there, no one is, is exempt from this, but um, it's good to know, sort of call it by its name, activism. We really want to avoid that. We need barriers. We need intentional practices that help us 
And again, this is for the girls. Um, and also uh, to have, I'm gonna say order and moderation, a family culture that values order and moderation will help us um, kind of put um, the, the tendency in our culture toward excess and extreme, put that at bay. Um, excess, I would say a culture of excess or extreme is the sense of there always needs to be more, it's just more, more, more in any sphere. Uh, more for the sake of entertainment or popularity or just, you know, kind of senseless uh, drive for more excess um, and extreme. It can be kind of materialism, just more things, more, again, more activity, just more and more. Really, these are not healthy in any ways, the, the activism or kind of excess. And I went to, again, the, the, the teenage brain, I was looking through my notes, really backed up this, uh, the importance of showing the girls um, how important order is, moderation, so that we can accomplish what's important. We can rest well, we can have, and, and so many things go into this. Uh, when I say order and moderation, it's like the value of working out a really good schedule. For a young person that can take, it, it's going to be full of ups and downs. It, it's never, and I mean, for all of us, I know myself every year, I mean, all, every month, every day. Um, some people say order is, is putting, I mean, work is putting order in, in chaos every day. You know, it's, it's just the way it is, but learning the art of creating and living a good schedule again and again, um, learning those boundaries that help us to learn well to enjoy healthy fun. So the teenage brain, these are some quotes. Here's one. Memories are easier to make and last longer when acquired in the teen year years compared with adult years. And this is the brain. Memories are easier to make and last longer when acquired in the teen years compared with adult years. The brain in these years is more formative, it's more impressionable. It's more plastic, if you will, right? So it goes on to say, this is the time, youth, to identify strengths and invest in emerging talents. It's also the time when you can get the best results from remediation, special help for learning and emotional issues. I love that. That backs up everything we do here. I mean, now, and, and you've, Put your daughters in a school that takes these formative years very seriously and neuroscience backs up. These are the years um, to create those good memories, um, to even create the positive memory of creating a good schedule and, and realizing this works, this really helps, this sinks deeply, I want to do this. Good habits, right? Memories of the good help reinforce the commitment to, to live those good habits. Another quote, it said, uh, this is again to parents and teachers, I think, set limits with everything. This is what their over exuberant brains can't do for themselves, teenagers. Set limits with everything. This is what the over exuberant brains of our teenagers cannot do for themselves. So that's good. Don't doubt yourself on that. And then the other point is, there isn't, a, another quote, there isn't a single part of a teenager's life that is not adversely affected by a lack of sleep. Really important. 
And um, it, it may take a long time to get at this. I, I, we, have, we can have lots of conversations about sleep. We had a family practitioner here who spent two days with our school uh, two, uh, some years ago, and it was fabulous. We could easily have her come back. But uh, she talked really, uh, she just talked so beautifully with the students, um, taught them about the sleep cycle, really practical, and really, uh, I think, in, and talked with the parents as well. But again, when we sort of sometimes going back, what's wrong? I do this in mentoring. When I ask the girls sometimes if you're just down or very critical or very uh, feel like the world is against you, let's let's do a little let's you know do a little investigation. And and I at some point I'm thinking, you know, how how's it going on sleep? Very often we'll discover uh, bad habits with sleep. And what a great thing to just find out what's going on. Let's keep working on that. So I won't develop that more now, but that's point one, number one, order and moderation. The second is we are nourished by loving personal relationships with family and friends. No surprise. Great, great lesson from this time. St. John Paul II said once, I believe it was at a UN conference for the family, but I'm not sure said the love between spouses, between the husband and wife is bread for the children. Love that. Nourishment, it's family, uh, our family, and family is nourishment. The love, the affection, the interest is, is truly nourishment. These bonds with family, of course, they're, they're the primary ones. And then moving it out outside of the immediate family to close relatives and then to friends and, and, and neighbors, person, obviously teachers here, close relationships. They're, they're, they rely on time spent together. And it's so beautiful for me to see how many people have talked about this, um, the, the beautiful things that, that even this difficult time of quarantine, which has been difficult, and we know there's lots of things difficult, but so one, one of the many good things is to see the deep appreciation, renewed appreciation for, for family and for close relationships. Um, it's very important here uh, in an all-girls environment to see how an all-girls environment really allows the girls to cultivate relationships. Uh, and they're learning all the time. They're learning from the good example of their peers. They're learning from their teachers. From all, of, from all of us, they're sharing the beautiful practices that their own family uh, has given them. So I think the, the, the theme I would say here is just people first. Um, and, and to see that's person-centered. Um, so I think just you know, thinking about that, how person-centered are we as a family in the way we spend our time, our resources, um, and the really small details, I, I'm sure you've heard this, but we received so many thank you cards, uh, the teachers, the staff, from, the, from quarantine on. And it's, that is such a personal, I'm a big fan of cards, as anyone who knows me knows that, but it's, it's personal. Uh, it's not generic. And it's beautiful to see how the girls, or, or a simple call, how the girls love that, learn that. And again, that's, that's a lifelong habit which can only bode well, bode well for their friendships, their relationships, their future families. Um, so I think that's really important, people first. And then the third thing is the service, looking beyond um, my immediate sphere. And 
wrapping up on my time here, um, cultivating actively that spirit of service that constantly, we were constantly asked to look beyond our small world. When people have sometimes said the bubble of Ocrest, I mean, I, I understand that, but it's not appropriate really. This, this is not a bubble. This is a place, this is a garden. Um, it's forming and cultivating people, but who are going to go out, who are actually out in the world right now. Um, so it, it's really important, but we're, we're constantly being asked to do that and how good that is for us. I think that's what we've seen. Um, Viktor Frankl wrote, being human is directed to something or someone other than oneself, be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is. So that awareness, even what, what is taught at this time of suffering, um, I, it's in a sense, it's beautiful and it's necessary because we are more human that way. Um, and again, I just love seeing um, the lessons that have been learned and the way the girls um, really have, have risen to the occasion. And again, that thanks to you. So wrapping up, we're forming trustees of humanity. It's a work of cultivation that is a shared work. Um, parents first, always first, school second, but in very important. And we're cultivating strong women who are not afraid to be their own person, uh, who do not have to fit into a preset mold in any way, an image. They have a really strong and good sense of their own worth and really who they are. Uh, they've been taught here to reason, so important to reason, to think, to seek what is true and what is good, and to form those habits that will turn uh, all of their great desires, it will really help them become real. That's very important. And this is what changes culture. This is culture. This is the formation of culture. And that is what gives me enormous hope uh, for, our, for our culture is the work that we're doing here with you. So gardeners, and just remember, uh, never be surprised if you get tired, you can get discouraged, you can really, I mean, we're doing very challenging work in a culture in many ways, which is not uh, going with us in some ways. So we need that training, we need coaching, we need encouragement, we need input, and we need hope uh, to do our part. So those are, and for the girls, the lessons are anything you can do as a family, slow down and make time to do what's important. Really, um, people first is our, our, our cry. People first in thoughts, words, deeds, use of time, use of money, and service to others. When we start our world, sometimes tend, they tend to get small. Um, but to constantly be aware of that and sort of break out, no, uh, the way to be fully human is to enlarge my sphere of prayer, of work, of concern.